Uh, hello and welcome to Podiatry Practice Mastery. My name is Don Pelto and I have Ben Pearl here. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me on, on your podcast. It's, it's a real uh, honor. You're, you're actually the first uh, person that's interviewed me. Oh, really? Because uh, you, you have your yeah. own podcast. And um, if people are interested, um, you can just share it right now. What's the, how can they learn about your podcast? So I do a segment called Fit Foot You, and I've had uh, a few luminaries in our, our field, Dave Armstrong, uh, some other biomechanics gurus, Ben Onig, um, just different uh, people, a lot of them associated with uh, the American Academy of Podiatric Sports Medicine, which I'm a fellow of. Okay. And uh, just gives them a, a chance to talk about what they're passionate about. If they have a particular book they're promoting, Doug Ritchie promoted his pathomechanics uh, book that he authored recently. So mm -hmm. it's a, a nice way. And I learned so much as I'm sure you do from your guests as well. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put a little link underneath the show in the show notes for the, for the link to that uh, podcast for everyone. So today, Ben, I, I, you're expert at sports medicine and you're kind of transforming the industry in terms of your protocols and even some of your inventions. So tell me what you're passionate about and what excites you right now about, about your practice, about business. Well, so I try to relate to my patients through my own participation in sport. Uh, my background is I was a walk-on at Indiana University for track, quickly got cut as I realized I was just not up, up to the standard of uh, Big Ten uh, Olympic caliber athletics, Ch changed over to bike racing, but then continued my uh, athletic pursuits after, after uh, well, actually in podiatry school with soccer, um, and then also skiing. Uh, I was a professional ski instructor for a period of time. So all those things have given me a more intimate uh, understanding of the limitations of, of doing things, orthotics uh, interventions within the equipment that you're limited to with a ski boot and or cleats where you have tighter fits than let's say running shoes. And my passion is to keep those athletes and myself active with their sport. So yeah. that led me to trying to come up with solutions that would be, uh, I guess, expeditious and then also convenient for patients to apply. And then, okay. I, you know, we can talk when, when we're ready about some of the splints and things that uh, I've developed to try to uh, help out with certain conditions. Yeah. You know, something that's, that's, let's talk about sports medicine. Like what's really popular right now is regenerative. Maybe we could start with regenerative medicine, how you use it in your practice, how it's been for you and how that really, I think you'd have a word, uh, fast turn, like in, 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 increases their results quicker. So tell me about right. that. Right. So that therapeutic moment when patients come into the practice and have been sort of uh, just not really progressing with let's say the, the typical pr treatment protocol with let's say plantar fasciitis doing a, a night splint, uh, maybe an, an over-the-counter orthotic while they're waiting for their, their custom orthotic. So I've tried to come up with some algorithms that will help them progress faster and not just mass, you know, if I guess there's controversy about uh, what cortisone is actually doing, but with regenerative medicine, we have the opportunity to actually quote, heal the fascia yep. and or the tendon. So I was an early adopter to things like Amnion in particular, because the price point for that versus something like uh, platelet-rich plasma uh, is, is lower uh, in that you don't have to have as many injections theoretically, sometimes just one, maybe two, and that's all you need. And I do it in a fashion of where it's at ambient temperature 
and there's been various preparations. Uh, we had micronized um, preparations available for a while. The Mimetics company actually uh, had one that they uh, are no longer able to do for sports medicine purposes. But now I use a lot of the um, fluid flow uh, options that are available at ambient temperature. So okay. when they're not when they're not cryopreserved, there's less uh, cost there because of uh, the shipping uh, costs associated with cryopreservation. But they work very well. I know you use them in your practice, and I I use these amnion injections to the actual point target tissue guided with ultrasound, so I can see where the uh, the fascia defect is, or the tendon defect, or the plantar tear if it's not a full tear and doesn't need surgical repair. Um, apply the injection to that area. I've done it to my own Achilles tendon, and that made me a real believer um, okay. for the, the field of regenerative medicine. Now, where, now, Ben, where do you, where does it fall into your protocol? Let's say traditional plantar fasciitis, you try anti-inflammatories, icing, you know, night splint, stretching PT. Does it come in like visit one or two, or do you wait, or, and do you, like, and how do you bring it up in terms of to the patients? Yeah. If I have a high level athlete that's trying to return sooner rather than later, I'll bring it up sooner. If I have an everyday fit person that's just trying to maintain fitness, I'll go through more of the traditional longer period of, of protocols might even be three visits before we enter, you know, a cash pay situation with doing a regenerative medicine option. And then the other one that, as you know, that can be done in tandem is uh, shockwave therapy, or I use the yeah. extracorporal uh, pulse activation uh, therapy. So there's various shockwave machines. I happen to have uh, one of the EPAT units uh, by stores, uh, but I think Zimmer and, and some of the other companies do do fine ones as well. So I, I usually bring it up, and this is, I'd like to hear how you explain it. I basically say that I, I think the tissue becomes chronically injured. There's not the best blood flow. I'll show them on the ultrasound. I'll show them maybe the little, the area of effusion. And I'll say, you know, we can do the traditional things. I don't think, I think cortisone, I kind of say it kind of, it, it's harmful. I think if you use too much of it and it's not going to really heal it, the way to heal it is with this. I usually do, if I'm doing combo radial and focused, I'll do 200 a session. I'll do between three and six sessions. And then for our amnio is a little bit expensive. It's like 1500. So that's probably what, maybe why I'm doing less of it. So that's kind of how we do it. What is that? How you kind of explain it and do it too? In, in, in that kind of nomenclature, I, I will mention, for instance, terms like that we can jumpstart the healing process, that we're adding growth factors to the area. And I, I kind of liken it to, to dumb it down a little bit to fertilizer for your, for your grass, for your lawn. So that way, it's, it's something very clear that, that they can kind of hang their hat on. Um, I also mentioned to them with Shockwave in particular, that we are getting more blood flow to the area. And yeah, they can sure. actually see that uh, rosy appearance of the tendon area after we uh, uh, do a shockwave session so that they can clearly feel that there is something happening uh, in terms of blood flow. So you show them on their skin, the redness, or in the, on the ultrasound with the... Uh, on their skin after we do a, yeah. a, a, an EPAT treatment. That's cool. The other thing that I've had happen too in terms of mobilization of edema is that let's say I have a, uh, an ankle sprain and I, I'm applying the shockwave uh, to the lateral aspect of the ankle. I will sometimes be able to see, not always, but sometimes be able to see that right after we do the treatment, and sometimes I'll take a picture if it's really swollen, that the after picture, it has mobilized 
uh, some of that edema out of the uh, interstitial tissue and into the leg and away from the uh, injured area. So I, I do believe you get a little bit of that uh, in some cases, especially when it's it, when the skin is very tented that you can actually push the, uh, the interstitial fluid out of the injured area. Now, Ben, how often are you doing just the amnio with shockwave or just shockwave alone? Are you always doing it in conjunction or, or a lot of times separate? I, I think because of patient cost, I usually will defer to one or the other first. Um, you, you know, there are practices whose approach is to kind of throw the, the kitchen sink at something in, in terms of regenerative. And uh, I respect that. But I think from a from a, a patient standpoint, sometimes they want to sort of have an idea of what what is working. And uh, I like to give things a fair shake, let's say three shockwave treatments, at least as a baseline to be able to to sort of codify what sort of effect we had with that uh, with that uh, protocol. Wow. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the same, I'm in the same agreement. That, that's great. Um, cool. Good. I think we covered those types of regenerative things. Um, you, you also do a lot of orthotics and things like that, uh, printing orthotics, biomechanics. So tell me about some of those game-changing things that you're seeing in your practice that are kind of innovative. Well, the big game changer that I had uh, this past year, I try to add one thing to my practice each year. I think that's like a good practice goal. Uh, but to spend time with it so you're not, you're not uh, adding too many things at once. The big changer for me, and I'm going to try to tilt the camera so, so um, you can see it in, in the podcast, is that we've added 3D printing as a office-based and not just using a central lab. So there's two ways that, uh, of course, that we can scan. Uh, we can scan where we send that image, and uh, I'll show you uh, an example of something that we have here, and we're actually printing now. So uh, wow. I didn't. I thought maybe it might be too noisy, but it's not. And, and this, this is, is your uh, this is your waiting room, right? Yeah, this is right in the waiting room. Wow. I don't know if you've got a good image of the, yeah, the can, actual uh, image on the on the background on the computer, uh -huh. but that it that is the uh, image of the orthotic that is being printed. Um, uh, on the printer itself. Wow, that's a and cool so factor. Reason, yeah, yeah. The cool factor is is up towards the ceiling with this, and <laughs> I, I have to thank my colleague, uh, uh, Dr. Jay Spector, who's got uh, his practice is Atlanta uh, uh, Atlanta Sports Medicine down um, down south, and he encouraged me to pursue this. And I think initially, when I first saw these programs. They, they weren't as sophisticated. They didn't have as many features. Uh, Dr. Paul Langer has worked with um, the company that I work with, which, which happens to be OLT. There's, there's several good 3D print companies out there. Um, but they take uh, the input that we have as practitioners into consideration. So if we say we want to have a Kirby Sky, they put it into the program. If they say, if I, if I talk to them and say, hey, I'd like to do something a little bit lower, uh, we can then make like, this is for like, for instance, a soccer cleat where you can see that it's dropped lower. Mm -hmm. We can make this a full length device if we, if we choose so. And by uh, the advantage there is then we can take a, a top cover material. This happens to be uh, hmm. Adidas Boost uh, EVA. And we can apply that to a full length without having to, uh, a full length under device without having to uh, apply a bottom cover. So you have a little bit of stiffness there, so it, it won't fold up 
and the shoe when you put uh, adhere to the top cover. Wow, that that's your your patients that now can they see you and print it that day and pick it up or does it take 24 hours or how does that work? Sure. We've done situations. I had uh, an ex um, Indianapolis cult that came in that, that knows me and he came into town from from Carolina. And so I did it that weekend and printed it that day, left the office. To, you know, he was like a size 13 foot. Uh, it took about three hours to print that full length device, each one. So left the office, came back, took the one off, and, and, then, um, and then printed the second. In a pediatric situation, you can actually arrange the locus so that you can print both at the same time because it's small enough on that platform that you can print both. And from the standpoint of what you mentioned, the cool factor, you know, I kind of liken it, and this was, again, uh, my colleague Jay Spector's idea, uh, to have the, the print uh, device in the waiting room. So it's almost like uh, it has this Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory effect where they see it and it, it becomes, they own it a little bit more because it's not something more. Uh, I'm sending it out, right? I'm sending it out to a lab and they're going to send it back to me. It's like they can see it being produced. It's what's, yeah. what's the, it's the Ikea effect. When yeah. you put your furniture together from Ikea, it has greater value than if you just bought it. You know, right. And they feel like they're getting direct input. I've had some people that are into 3D printing and they say, oh, can we make this a little bit lower? And once you have that image, you can just alter uh, the prescription. That image is yours. Uh, usually there's a small download fee that they do some of the image processing to jive it with the device and the foot model that you've scanned. And then, and then you can, then you have the final uh, adjustments that you make with heel depth, um, amount of varus that you want in the heel, you, all those features. Now, do you do all of yours that way, or do you still send out some? I still send out occasionally, although we're probably doing about ninety-five percent. And I didn't think it would be that high, but the acceptance rate has been great. And you know, really, where the conversation goes in terms of of the compliance and what I call sort of the therapeutic moment is when I. And this just happened the other day. I had a, a dad come in, Seaver's disease, you know, typical thing where, you, you know, heel lift is one of the main things with Seaver's disease, just changing the angulation, yep. but, but getting something underfoot with arch support is important too. So when he, when the, when the family realized that they can get this thing printed out in two days, they were all in. So we've now removed this sort of the pandemic effect where the three week delay, you know, depending on your lab, if they've had to do shift work where they've had employees out and, and protocols where now you're getting shipping delays, um, where it might be upwards of you know two to three months, what used to take you six weeks. Now you're getting them in 48 hours. And I think that the, the patient uh, acceptance, the, the satisfaction rate really has improved you know, to that effect. It, it, it's Ben, it's, it's the Amazon effect. We want it in two days delivered. And if you're doing that, the guy next door is gonna take four weeks to get an orthotic. They're all gonna come see you. That's, a, that's yeah, amazing. So, so, and I think that it builds on itself because eventually they'll remember that. And like, when you do good service, you'll get, you'll get referrals for it as well. But, but like, I don't want to deal with like, do you do glue the top covers? Like, are you doing all those yourself or do you have staff trained? You, you have the option of still using a central lab. And so what, I, and, and to your point, and what I decided to do is to say, look, this thing is almost like a thermal cork. It bends, it's, uh -huh. But yet it's not, it's not like something they're gonna get at the CVS. It's got some rigidity. You can actually, and I didn't mention this, you can change the durometer. 
the, the, okay. the stiffness of the product. They have two different uh, spools that they like can the send you. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and at any rate, uh, you also have an array that you can make it uh, uh, more of a grid or less of a grid in terms of the density. And so with that said, a lot of times, because these are so washable and so forth, and, and they're comfortable to wear, I'm not doing top covers for about 60 to 75% of them. So if they've had four foot lesions and so forth, you wanna have that top cover to make your U-pad built in. And so, yes, that does take extra time. And we have kind of a, a, a price tier that we do for top cover, as opposed to just the three quarter length uh, orthosis. That's, that's awesome, Ben, that's awesome. What, what, what other cool things are like game changers are in your practice? You're, you're an inventor, you've invented some other stuff or whatever you yeah. wanna talk about, this is great. So one of the things that I do uh, as sort of an add-on is I've used some of these brace layer systems. We're all familiar with something, you know, here's an example of one. A compression this, sleeve, right? Compression yeah, sleeve. this yeah. is for like, and, and I don't just use it for plantar fasciitis, I'll use it for perineal tendonitis, posterior tib tendonitis, Seavers disease, as I mentioned before, it's been a big thing just to have that sort of kinesthetic awareness and sort of counter pressure against something that's aching in your foot. So I feel like we're getting something sort of swaddling soft tissue pocket, almost like a first aid brace, you know, the old compression rice elevation. And by, by muting those oscillations, I think we're getting a little bit of a therapeutic benefit. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's not the same as a rigid brace, but it's a lot more compliant for people to wear. They can slip it on and 10 seconds, they're not dealing with tape that's unraveling or, or, or get or more difficult to apply. So I, I don't have anything against using taping in, in my practice. I use it sometimes in conjunction with, but this is something that a patient can use consistently. I took that concept uh, with a problem that I think we all see in our practices with hallux limitus and turf toe and decided why not for those that can't tolerate uh, the standard carbon plate Maybe it's a little bit too much of a dead stop as you're, as you're propulsing over that carbon plate in like a soccer cleat. And I've had that uh, related to me and I've experienced that myself with, uh, with the turf toe injury that I had recently. I decided to add a semi-flexible polyurethane uh, splint. And I don't know if you can see yeah, this Yeah, I can well, see it perfect, yep. At, at the bottom of, all, of uh, a mitten type thing that you, you know, almost like a lobster claw thing that you put on your foot. And so what I found is, although it doesn't have the stiffness of a carbon plate, it still slows down that propulsive momentum and that, that torque and will effectively take a little bit of that pressure to the point where I've had patients say, as soon as they've started wearing it, it takes about 30, 35% of the pain away. Uh, I think what's also valuable about this in-office dispensing with these uh, brace sleeve systems is that you get immediate feedback. So I can have the patient wear it. Uh, they can try it. If it's a little bit too tight, we can upsize to a different skew, a larger skew. Or if they feel like there's no benefit whatsoever, I don't try to always convince them that you, know, you have to have hours of use. I don't really want to push people into something that they're not comfortable with. So in some cases, if I have the thought that uh, more time will, will help, I'll, I'll mention that it, it might. But it's, it's always... Uh, it's always a no-brainer when they have immediate relief, whether it yeah. be, uh, you know, in part placebo effect or whether they're 
in most cases in my mind, whether something's actually happening kinesthetically uh, with that brace sleeve system. You know, I'm going to take a, a, that's awesome. A, one thing that I've learned from my partner, he does a lot of sports, more sports med too. I didn't realize this. People come in plantar fasciitis. A lot of times we'll just do a, like a, a MB4, a foam roller ball on the back of their calf, roll it out for 30 seconds or a minute. Then they walk and they're in a lot less pain. Everyone's walking out with foam rollers or balls because it it's one of those things you, it's like printing a printing an orthotic. Like they can participate in their care. They see it works and, and it works great for them. That's awesome. We we do the same thing with that. And we also have added, uh, have you seen like the nylon stretch bands that have the different uh, uh, handholds? Yeah. With the, with I can the have my staff gra grab one for a visual. Do you want to okay. grab me one of those, uh, Joy, one of those stretch bands if we have one? But the but the idea being, and I, I, um, I interviewed a guy that was a... Uh, uh, steeplechase. He was a, all but made the Olympic team. He was like a, a, a like a hundredth of a second, two uh, trials in a row. So he never made the actual Olympic team, but he was he was on the on the on the Olympic level team trying to make the Olympics. Wow. But at any rate, he do, he's a masseur now, and he's worked uh, with some shoe companies, and he's a, he's got a great stretch routine. So I did a podcast with him, and. Uh, I should, and you can use just a standard nylon rope. And I always tell patients this too, but this just has the advantage of being able to have various hold points. Yeah, kind of like a TRX you band. Your, uh, your foot around it. This is, this is called the uh, stretch out strap and it comes with a little guidebook. But I actually have my patients while I'm, let's say doing a, a block in the other room for an ingrown nail, watch a two minute segment of this YouTube video with Tommy and that's on my fit foot you. And so they feel like they're actually participating. And if they like it, great. Uh, they've already seen a little bit and can ask me ask me uh, questions about, did I do this hamstring stretch or this glute stretch uh, appropriately or this glute strengthening? Because you're you know, holding the dead weight of your leg, you're getting a little bit of strengthening in there as well as, as a stretch uh, with some of these uh, um, protocols. So they love it. Uh, they feel like, oh, not only is my podiatrist you know, giving me a treatment with orthotics or a splint, but he is taking an active physical uh, role in making sure that I'm comfortable doing these uh, home exercises, you know, in, in the awesome. comfort of my home. So Ben, I want to, I want to, you know, you've been doing this longer than I am just because you have more gray hair than I do. Um, but one thing I want to, I want to <laughs> ask, it. I get, I get overwhelmed sometimes because when plantar fasciitis, we have so many things to offer our patients and sometimes you don't want to overwhelm them. And so like in terms of your, 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 how you work in your mind, in terms of, do you explain the compression sleeve, the first visit orthotics, the third visit, or do you do it all the first visit? How do you do that? And how do you explain those to the patients? Like the compression sleeve and the orthotics, what are, what's your little can, can spiel? Yeah. So great point with orthotics. We know that even with my 3d print, they're not going to get them that day. So we want immediate relief, whether it be a strapping and I get so much relief and because of time pressure with something like, um, you know, these FS6 sleeves as an example, so versus that, strapping. that just Perfect. becomes an add-on and while they're waiting for the orthotic to use. So there's, and then the price point, I don't even make people get the pair. If they just want to get one for the foot, we break them up. They're in, yep. they're in, uh, they're in a wrap anyway. So why require people if they don't want to get two? Some people feel like, oh, you can have the other and just sell them as a set, as a, as a, a backup mm -hmm. uh, or while one is being uh, drying out because yeah. there is some care uh, required. As far as uh, things like the 
uh, amnion and, and those things, those are reserved. I, I might mention them, especially if I have a high level athlete that, you know, has a marathon that they're, you know, we're trying to sort of thread the needle in terms of that uh, time pressure to get to the event. But if a, a patient has time on their side, I'll do things, the traditional things like the night splint, you know, and that's so hit or miss. I've had patients where we've uh, done, uh, uh, you know, the traditional night splints and they'll, or the Strasburg sock as an alternative if insurance doesn't uh, cover and they want a lower price point. And sometimes I like the idea of pulling the toes back and not just getting the, uh, the Aquinas part with the mm -hmm. uh, ankle. So mm -hmm. I think that there might be some utility with uh, that aspect of the Strasburg sock where you're getting that, that fascial stretch as well. Um, but the, the patient feedback and uh, results on those is so variable. Some, some people will do very well with it. And some, and some don't. Toes but, going numb and they right. can't handle it. Yeah. Right. And some people tell me they can't handle the idea of wearing a night splint at night. So I say, well, if you can wear it an hour or two a day, that's better than nothing, you yeah. know, while you're, while you're seated doing your activities. So I think that, you know, the short answer to your question is I, I, I am basically sizing up the um, need to return to activity. How, how pressing is that for yeah. them? I look also at, obviously, we all have to look at what's covered and what's not covered for the, the patients to make their decision on, yeah. based on that. And then what I think is going to get them move the needle the fastest for their situation. Now, you know, where you live, are orthotics covered by insurance? We happen to be in the, the federal Blue Cross area because I'm within the Capitol Beltway of uh, the D.C. area. I'm in yeah. here in Arlington, Virginia. So we have the advantage that uh, a lot of our government workers do have coverage for oh. custom orthotics. So that is a that is a big advantage for we just had a, um, a youngster today that it was just a 30 percent coinsurance. So essentially, like it's a ninety dollar uh, uh, proposition wow. for them, which is hardly much more than a. So, th so then you're doing it first orthotics you're doing first visit then because a lot of times i will it's covered sure. and you because that's my thought if, if if everyone got them for free everyone would have orthotics but you know i'm in massachusetts blue cross doesn't cover no one covers or very few cover and so it's it's when to bring it up i think if it were covered everyone i would bring it up day one but i think you know that's so that's what you can do that that's good to know i, I forgot about that portion and then i i still have a, a small amount, although I do them much less because you know, let's say I have, um, you know, a, a school teacher that's, you know, struggling. Uh, I'll sometimes, you know, as we, as we sometimes will do, we'll try to help somebody out. And, and, you know, if it's a cash pay proposition and we know that they're working hard, I, you know, we've all done things where we can give people a little break here and yep. there. And with this thing, uh, this this device that I make in my office, the cost of you know spooling out, and it's not nylon, but it's a, a material similar to nylon. The cost of that is about thirteen bucks. Oh, so wow. we have our uh, scan uh, processing fee, which is fifteen a pair, and that's a one-time fee. So basically, for about twenty-eight bucks, or you're you're getting your orthotic, which is probably a little less than half now for most labs. So we have a lot more control of the price point. Wow. Now with, with what we can do with the orthotics, if we really feel it's, it's necessary and, and uh, want, want to give them the option of a custom orthotic. That's awesome, Ben. Well, we, we've covered like a, a lot here today. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, as we're finishing up, is there any, any things that you'd like people to look at or resources that you want to share? I'll put them at the, in, the, in the discussion afterwards. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm a, especially uh, think that it's helpful both for patients and practitioners of some of the fit foot use segments where I've, uh, again, interviewed people like Doug Ritchie and he's got so much information that he, that he uh, uh, condensed in his uh, book on the twisted foot. I mean, I start looking at, at feet now in a different manner than even in school when we were inundated with uh, you know, lower extremity anatomy by some of the nuances of the development of the foot and, and what's happening pathomechanics wise. So I would highly recommend some of those lectures. And then I think just for the sports-minded uh, um, practitioners, it's good to hear athletes too, because I interview athletes from their standpoint. So okay. I, 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 with my podcast, I try to not only interview practitioners, but uh, people that are participants in sport. So you awesome. get a different perspective uh, from that. And, uh, and take a look at some of the, the options that are available, whether it be 3D printing, I think that would be helpful for a lot of practices. And then some of the brace options. These are not meant to be substitutes, but simply add-ons yeah. that, that can help uh, their patients right away. So those would be the, you know, okay. sort of the take-home points. Cool. I'll, I'll put those in the description here. And uh, once again, I look forward to doing this again. Thank you so much, Ben. Don, thank you so much. It was great uh, finally being a, a guest on a, on a great program.